Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney. Oftentimes at this time of year in particular, we hear wonderful stories in, about schools across the country and the impact and the relationship that bus drivers and school custodians and teachers aides and teachers and administrators have on students in the school, students that they have responsibility for educating and looking after throughout the day. We want to talk tonight particularly about a situation in the Situate School Department where custodians recently received information that that whole process of school maintenance will be privatized and the negative impact that we believe that it's going to have on the students and on the teachers and in the community at large. I'm pleased in this edition to have joined me Nick Carnavalli and Joshua Homerston, who are both custodians at the middle and high school at Situate. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So privatization, it's a, for me, it's a bad word. It's a word that really says it doesn't really make any difference about the quality of the people. We just want to ultimately save money. So it has nothing to do about the community, about relationships. It's just a bottom line number. And we all know that sometimes issues around bottom line numbers cause negative impact in another area. So let's talk briefly about it. Joshua, how did you find out about this? I got a letter from the school department's attorney uh, November 1st stating that they do not have enough money to pay the custodians, so they're going to look to privatize companies to try to get a smaller money budget to, because we cost too much money. Um, and so I think that um, to say it'd be a surprise, it was a surprise to me when you talked to me about it, let alone you who've been at the school for nine years now? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. Um, I, I think that it's, it's not only just a job for you, it's about the relationship that you have with parents and with teachers and TAs and students. And if I'm not mistaken, both of you graduated from that high school. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know. It's a middle school and high school together, so both of us spent a total of seven years there from sixth grade to twelfth grade. Um, and then we both have returned as custodians. We know the building inside and out. Um, many of the teachers that are there right now, that you know, we take care of their rooms. They took care of us while we were there. We had them as teachers and now as employees, you know, our relationship with the teachers has changed and we have started to develop the relationship. We have many relationships with both the students and parents, um, very close relationships with them. Uh, many of the parents we see every day through student activities or just bring, uh, bring students in just to drop them off, pick them up. And we also have many uh, students that 
you know, as they stick around in the school uh, later on in the night when an event's happening. There's no teachers in the building. Um, so they, they have to have, be able to feel comfortable coming up to us, asking us, uh, you know, can, can I get into my locker? Can, can you let me in this room? I forgot my charger, my lunchbox, whatever it is. So the students have to feel comfortable and safe being able to talk to us and come up to us just as they would a teacher. And it's important, you talk about feeling comfortable and safe in this environment, it's really important that students and teachers and everybody in the building is comfortable and aware of what's going on around them. And I think in many ways, custodians, um, they play an integral role. They are not just the people who maintain the building and make sure that the classes are clean and well organized. I know that when I was a high school teacher, um, I think my first year of teaching, the, the chief custodian in my building said, principals will come and principals will go, but Bernie will be here for a long, long time. And there was nothing more true than that because the custodians in the building, the paraprofessionals, the teachers, um, they are the people who are going to be there for the longest time. They're the people who are going to have the relationship with the students and the relationship in the community. So I found it kind of interesting that when you went to the school department meeting that night and there was a discussion about privatization, that there were parents who came up when they realized that there was a potential of you guys losing your job and not being there, that they didn't want to lose the relationship you had in the community with the students, with the parents, and that in particular some of them even offered to say, if we have to pay extra money or money out of our pockets, we'll do it. Yes, we had um, a couple parents actually said that they would actually, they don't care if you raise the taxes, they want us, they would, they would gladly pay more money if they had to, to keep us around. Because we're more important, like you said, than just normal people. We, we are part of the community. Nick and I are Spartans from that school, so we care more about the school than anyone else that you're gonna bring in there. You know, so we want the school to be better than it was when we were there. And then to have parents come up and say that they would pay out of their own pockets for us, that's, that's just amazing to me. Now you mentioned something to me that in the same evening that there was a school committee meeting that in the same time frame that they were talking about privatization and the fact that they needed to reduce the expenses in the school so they were going to bring in a private company to do the janitorial and, and custodial services. You wouldn't be there, but they gave a salary increase of what, 1.7% to administrators that night? Yes, 17 people. Yeah, yeah. It was a 1.75% raise um, after actually being uh, pretty sure almost word for word they, they repeatedly said, we need to look at all the possibilities. We're looking at all of the possibilities to save money. And then to, to turn around and all of the 17 administrators get a 1.75% raise and as they're telling us, we don't have enough money to pay you. It's um, hypocritical and, and, and it's uh, uh, hurtful to us. I mean, it shows us that they're looking at us as, as numbers on a paper. They're not looking at us as part of the community. And I think it's important too because when you take a look at it, they were talking about doing away with the local U. I think you're affiliated with the National Education Association of Rhode Island with the NEARI. Yep. And I know that your president is uh, Sarah Markey. And I had a conversation briefly with her about the whole situation and was surprised to find out that you know, the value that 
the 20, I believe, there's 20 full-time and part-time custodial staff? Yes. Yeah. The, the relationship in the community of those 20 people was insignificant to the people carrying on the conversation that it was more important just to bring some random people in as opposed to looking after the people in the community who look after the kids. Yes. Well, I think, too, we're, it's a small town, situated a small town, and we're, we're not the only ones that went to school. There are six others that went to school at situated that are custodians. And in small towns, I believe that they, were supposed, they take care of their own. And to me, to take and try to privatize us, that's not taking care of your own, that's throwing out like we're just garbage that needs to be thrown out. Yeah, I think that I, 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 I think that most people can truly understand and relate about the importance of relationships in the community, the importance of the custodial staff, the importance of everybody who works in the school to look after the best interest of the students who go there. Because for many situations, you get to spend more time in the school with kids they see you more often than they will see many other people during the day. Mm -hmm. um, I found it interesting as well that um, we talked about the fact that you basically uh, have spent not just the years in the building as custodial staff, but years in the building prior to that as students and as people in the community. What would you like to tell the listening audience about why you believe it's important that privatization does not take place, why privatization will leave a gap in the kind of things and relationships that exist in that school right now. So the, f the first part of this, I would say, is um, you know, we've, we've emphasized pretty significantly our relationship with with the with the students and the teachers, and that for one, I think we cannot emphasize enough. Um, it's it's so important that the kids outside of their home have a place where they feel safe, and it's not only just that feeling safe; it's the connections of knowing people. Um, when you bring in a privatized company, uh, you have. Uh, a lot of times it's high turnout. You, um, the school department can say that they, ha they will have you know, rules set in place for this company, but at the end of the day, you're hiring a company and whatever that company is gonna send you is what you're being sent. So they're not gonna have as much um, control over the, the quality of work. Um, the, the people might not be there long enough to develop these relationships with the teachers and students. So um, for us, the biggest thing is, is, is emphasizing, like I said, this, this community aspect and the fact that if, if uh, you know, you, you, the parents know us, uh, we, 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 we're on good terms with um, the parents, the coaches, all these people that are not necessarily a part of the school as a principal, as a teacher, you know, all of the people involved with the school system. And, if you, you know, if, if the, the, one of the best things I think they can do to help is uh, talking to the school committee um, uh, to, and spreading the word amongst themselves who might not know that this is going on, but um, overall showing up to some of the school committee meetings, 
talking to the school committee, letting them know their side of things of why, you know, you came in and, you know, so-and-so let you in the building, helped you find your kid's locker. He, because he knows your kid, knows where, you know, oh, they're always in this hallway. I can help you find their stuff. So I, I think that the parents are going to be helpful um, in getting this message across as well of the fact that, you know, we, we're Spartans. We all know each other. You know, we're going to be Spartans forever. I want to reemphasize the fact that um, you have the relationship with students in the school from middle school through high school. You watch yes. them go through that transition. You watch them come into the school, and you help them make feel help them feel more secure. You're another community face in the school. You're mm -hmm. somebody that they can come to after school and say, "I forgot my homework or my phone in my classroom. Can I get in?" And you know who they are. They know who you know. They know who you are, and you know who they are. And it just ensure more safety, more security, and good relationships in the school. I have one uh, one example of how we're helpful. There was a student because it stays when there's no school, and it's just the custodians are at the school during the day. Well, there was an incident where a student got dropped off by his parent came from another school because we're doing out district schools you can come to situate if you need to well there's no school but he didn't know that and the only ones there were the custodians and we're the ones that were there to take care of him to make sure he got the phone call to call his parents so that he wasn't just stuck there and i don't think a privatized company is just going to take take care of the kid the way we would and i don't think you think in many ways they they wouldn't have the same empathy the same feeling Gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining me on the show today. I want to thank you. I wish you good luck. I'm sure that the community, your union, and the community at large will be supportive of encouraging the school department to reconsider the decision to possibly privatize the custodial staff in Situate. I want you to encourage you to keep up the good fight. Thank you for joining me in this edition of Labor Vision. We'll keep an eye on what's going on in Situate. I look forward to your comments on the program. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney. In states throughout the United States, there are varying degrees on how the workers' compensation system works. And in the past on Labor Vision, we've had conversations about the workers' compensation system in Rhode Island, which is considered to be one of the best in the country. I'm so pleased today to be joined by Chief Judge Robert Ferreri and Judge Stephen Minacucci from the Rhode Island Workers' Compensation Court um, to discuss in particular the Arrogan Center, which is a jewel in Rhode Island. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to a conversation about uh, the Arrogan Center that I, I really do believe is a jewel in the, in the workers' compensation system in the state. Well, thank you, Bob, for having both myself and Judge Minacucci here this morning, and it is a jewel. Uh, we are the only state in the country to have a rehabilitation facility uh, where injured workers can go to, and it would not cost the insurance carriers, employers, or anyone any money to treat them. Um, it was formerly known as the John Donnelly Rehabilitation Center. It was changed to the Robin Arrigan Rehabilitation Center and named in honor of Chief Judge Arrigan, who, as most people know, back in the 80s when comp was uh, having issues, for lack of a better term, he reformed it um, and 
put in place some procedures that are still being used today, and then we had the workers' comp reforms in uh, 1990 and 1992, and just changed the whole system, whereas now, right now, our court is probably one of the most efficient, if not most efficient courts in the, in the country. So we're all very proud of that, all of the judges. Um, and a large part of our success is due to the Arrogant Center, because we're able to refer injured employees to get treatment there, and again, with no cost to the employers or insurance carriers, it's pay, you know it's paid through the assessment. So I guess ultimately there is a cost, but it's not directly, directly costing to. them. Uh, even the services, the services at the Arrogant Center itself, whether it's rehabilitative services for physical injury and, and helping to um, bring back individual abilities, but it's counseling, it's, it's job training or direction to job training and a strong partnership with the insurer. Yes, um, there are many aspects of the Arrogant Center, but the first is the physical rehabilitation. We have a number of physical therapy assistants and physical therapists who treat injured workers uh, with physical therapy, and the, the benefits there is it also has aquatic therapy. It's probably one of maybe three places in the state that offer aquatic therapy as part of its physical therapy regimen. Um, and they also have work hardening. They actually have um, exercises that employees can undergo as, as kind of simulate part of their job so that they can gradually start working at towards getting back to full duty and gradually at the Arrogant Center doing it gradually and working up with the weights etc so that they are able to do their job prior to being released back to work. That's one part. I'm going to let Judge Minicucci talk about, a little bit about the vocational rehabilitation part. As far as the vocational rehabilitation part of the uh, Arrogant Center goes, they have really been a model uh, in terms of now helping us to get functional capacity evaluations of the employees once they reach what we would term a point of maximum medical improvement. After a person reaches a medical endpoint, they need to come to grips with what the injury has left them with and what can they do to help support themselves and their family going forward. So a functional capacity evaluation is something that I would routinely refer an injured worker to. Uh, that will tell us what the capacity of this individual is to work. And through the rehabilitation aspect of what they do, they have the vocational services as the chief mentioned. So they can then pivot to trying to work with this individual to see what is available, what can they get them out into the community doing. Once they re reach this point of maximum medical improvement, we have a program at the Arrogant Center that we can refer these employees to called the Work Readiness Program. And that uh, aspect takes these individuals, knowing that they've been already found by the court to judicially be at a medical endpoint, and they can move directly into trying to get this person reimbursed. Employed. This system is a win-win. It's a win for the employer. It's a win for the employee. It helps the employee come to grips with where their injury is and to move on. And it helps the employer because you're not going to have a situation where that employee, um, for lack of a better term, malingers or is in a situation where they can't get back to work and they're staying on workers' compensation for an inordinate amount of time. It helps the entire system to get these people moving and there is no other state that has a facility like the Arrogant Center. I've been around the country, I've talked to people from all over and while we have 50 different workers compensation systems around the, the country, Rhode Island is a leader as far as the country goes and Arrogant has helped us to do that. I think even it's a leader in the, in the workers compensation system. Um, 
but I think the Arrogant Center is kind of, um, I said a jewel, it's, it, it has such a structure to it. How long can an injured worker stay connected to the Arrogant Center? Depends on the injured worker's problems. Normal, typically, they'll start off with some type of physical therapy and aquatic therapy. And unfortunately, with a lot of uh, injured employees, uh, they have permanent injuries. So it's unlikely they'll ever be able to return to their regular job. So once they get to, as Judge Minacucci indicated, maximum medical improvement, they're then typically referred to the vocational rehabilitation portion of the Arrogant Center, where Bill Massey heads. And they will train injured employees to do other types of work and try to find injured employees jobs suitable within the restrictions they have. Uh, because with workers' compensation, as most people know, we have a 312-week period that they can collect partial incapacity benefits into the gate. And most injured workers probably won't be able to pass through that gate and to continue to collect comp. So they need to do something. Uh, they're unable to go back to their regular job because of the permanent injury. At the Arrogant Center, they can get free vocational rehabilitation, free vocational advice, and free retraining. Uh, they offer courses, several courses, to help retrain people. They offer computer courses. They offer uh, courses uh, for English, uh, for second languages. Um, and they do a lot of things. They help resume preparation, Bill Massey does, and they actually help people find jobs. They have contacts with employers, and they're working with some state agencies to find employees' jobs so that at least they will have something to go back to uh, once the workers' compensation benefits run out. I know that at the Institute um, we have conversations with Bill Massey on a regular basis and it may very well be that we know that there's a series of jobs coming up and we'll call over and say these are available if there are candidates at the Arrogant Center that it might be applicable to or training that we're having that it might be applicable. I know Stephen, you know, you've often talked about the connection between retraining and the injured worker. Right. As far as the retraining of the injured worker uh, in an economy that we have at this point that is moving more and more towards a gig economy, towards the digital age, you need to get these people equipped with the tools that they need to move forward. And as the chief indicated, the Arrogant Center has the capacity to retrain these people to do those types of jobs that are going to be available as we move further and further into the 21st century. So I really think that, it, again, Bill Massey's work has been great, and the work hardening aspect of what they do helps people get back to the physical nature of what work can be for them. But I really believe the way things are moving with more robotics, et cetera, in, the, in industry, we're going to have to be prepared and have these injured workers who have been out of the economy for a period of time. They've been rehabilitating to get back uh, to the point where they can work. And now when they, things are moving so quickly, when they turn and pivot to go back into the workplace, are we equipping them with the tools that they need to move forward? And I think the Arrogant Center is uniquely placed to do just that. It's interesting, too, because oftentimes the changes in a manufacturing facility or a production facility can happen so quickly that somebody can be out on an injury and that particular job doesn't even exist within that facility. And it's so important for us to give them the, that basic training in computer skills or a basic training in, in, in another area or the, the work hardening skills even redirecting them to do another job in that facility very similar to what they were doing. 
Right, and let me also say this because um, a lot of times there are the breaks put on a case where there's a dispute over whether or not this person was injured in the course of their employment or what the exact description or proper description is of the injury and whether or not the insurer for the, for the employer is going to be obligated to pay for these types of things. And while that is getting litigated in court, in certain cases that person is not getting the treatment that they need. We can, as judges, when that case is in front of us, sua sponte as we call it, we can refer a person to the Arrogant Center to get them moving in their rehabilitation plan, get them moving into therapy, whatever it is that they need, at no cost to the employer. But now, when you have that dispute finally resolved, one way or the other, this person has had the benefit of getting the treatment they needed. So that helps move the system along and move this person's life along, rather than have them put the brakes on um, an injury while this is litigated in a court. And I think that's so important of moving on that issue very quickly, like rather than having the person sitting waiting for the system to decide their future. That's and that's one thing I wanted to pick up on. A few points about the Arrogant Center. I, you know, I'm sure injured employees are watching this program, well, and they may be saying, "Well, how can I get into the Arrogant Center?" Very easily, you can have your doctor refer you directly into the Arrogant Center, and they will take you as long as you should be a part of a workers' compensation case. Or you can go to court and have a petition filed on your behalf to get admission into the uh, the Arrogant Center. So there are several ways. A couple other points that I wanted to bring up, and I know we got a 15-minute slot. We could talk about the Arrogant Center all day. Um, they have a great uh, return to work program on settlements. I think it's ticket to uh, ticket to work. Ticket program. to work. So for somebody that settled their workers' compensation case but does not have a job to go back to, they can still utilize the resources of the Arrogant Center again to do a job search and some retraining and get them back into the workforce. The second point I wanted to bring up is maybe one of the only drawbacks of the Arrogant Center is its one location on the east side. Uh, so people from the southern part of the state, uh, Westerly, South Kingston, uh, Narragansett, North Kingston, you know, it's, it's, quite, it's a little bit of a ride. Us Rhode Islanders, it's a long ride. It could be about 25, 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, but for an injured worker who may have a neck or back problem, who may be uncomfortable in sitting in a car for a long period of time, it's tough for them to commute back and forth perhaps two to three times a week to get the treatment they need. So we are on the uh, we are in, in the middle of negotiating and trying to get the Arrogant Center at another location right near URI, and we are going to try to utilize uh, the physical therapy students at URI. I've already talked to the dean of physical therapy, and there will be PT assistants get some training and also help the Arrogant Center. So uh, that's in the works, and hopefully that will come to fruition in the next couple of months. But the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I think it's extremely important in this day and age when we have an opioid. The Arrogant Center is at the forefront of dealing with that as well. We have a uh, chronic pain program where we can refer injured employees who unfortunately may be relying on opioids to deal with their pain to the Arrogant Center to get them off the opioids, to get them to treat with chronic pain and deal with chronic pain without the use of uh, any of these medications. And I think that's been extremely successful. Uh, we've used it many times. It has to be a referral through the court, so that's the one time where that needs to be referred to the court. And it can be refer referred by both the insurance carrier or the employee's attorney, but it, it's a big tool. It's been very successful, and we are well aware of the opioid is issue and, and the Arrogant Center um, 
health uh, providers there are doing a great job of treating that. It's worth noting that it's an interdisciplinary program, so this person isn't just going in to work with one counselor as we see in a model that occurs in other places. This is a situation where they have multiple medical providers from different areas of practice who all work together as a team on that individual's problem to get them past the opioids and back on the right track. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining me today on this. We could go on, we could go on for hours talking really about could. the workers' compensation really system at the Oregon Center in particular. And um, I'm going to ask you to join me to come back and do another show in the future on mediation. The workers' compensation system in Rhode Island has been often deemed to be the best in the country, and I'm sure that after listening to some of these sessions, you'll understand why. I want to thank my guests today, Chief Judge Robert Ferreri and Judge Stephen Minicucci. Thank you for joining us. Thank I look forward for, to future conversations. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week, Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.